0: Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph campus and community radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is...
1: I'm Candace Lepage.
0: And Candice uh, is actually back from vacation, even though the show is about to go on vacation, so uh, the whole world is upside down.
1: Oh, I planned it on purpose. <laughs> or something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's all well planned here from beginning to end. Um, But yeah, just, uh, you know, to get everybody aware, this is our last show before we take two weeks off. And uh, so enjoy the newness while you can because it won't be back for a couple of weeks. So
1: reruns reruns
0: (laughs) yeah so that's the only way uh, the youngs are acquainted with reruns now is when their favorite uh, radio shows and podcasts go on break anyway and credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we're here every Wednesday at 3pm to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new horror slasher X which you can now stream on Amazon Prime and I think VOD as well uh, that is going to be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we are going to blow your mind with a double review. So, uh, yeah, uh, we couldn't decide which which thing we wanted to review more. Um, which so we...
1: completely different from each other thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking, you know, it's it's kind of like, they're both kind of summery movies, like they're set in the summer. It's, you know, uh, kind of, you know, or I guess not movies, but one is a, technically a, a miniseries. But um, they both have kind of like summer themes. It's like we're going out and partying and going to a nice summer music festival that turns ugly. And then the other film is like we're going out into the backwoods of Texas to uh, film a a. a Adult film and that goes badly. So, I mean, I, I think the differences between these projects are not eclipsed by their similar, or the similarities between these projects are not necessarily eclipsed by their differences.
1: Yeah, sure. You know what
0: I mean? Okay, I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's roll a quick clip, and then we will get into the review.
1: Woodstock '99. It was going to be the biggest
2: party on the planet. But that's not what any of us remember it for.
0: What the hell happened? It really felt like it was flower power and coming together in harmony.
1: I've never seen this many people.
0: Just peace and love and music.
1: That was it. it felt like a crowd that could turn at any time it was like this unleashing
0: all this energy there was no control the environment was just very male ego okay so that was a clip from Trainwreck. Woodstock 99 it is the new three-part documentary series on Netflix directed by Jamie Crawford and it features Michael Lang, John Scher, Jewel, Jonathan Davis of Corn fame, Gavin Rosdale of Bush fame, Anata Lewis, Fat Boy Slim and a cast of thousands. Um, it, uh, it does sort of seem like one of those old Hollywood movies that nearly bankrupted a studio. <laughs> but <laughs> is is still memorable decades after the fact. Interestingly, this is like kind of the, I guess it has to do with like turn of the millennium nostalgia because this is the second documentary about Woodstock that I've seen in the last year. It's one of those kind of weird Hollywoody things where two different people get the same idea at the same time. Out of curiosity, Candace, did you see the Music Box, uh, the HBO doc about Woodstock?
1: No, no, I did not. Uh, I did not watch that. So. Um, but I'm not surprised. I mean, um, we're in a place now, uh, so I'm not surprised that that two people have re- re- gone back to this. I didn't watch the first one, so I'm not sure sort of what, what they were talking about. But we are in a place where we're just looking at society in general mm-hmm. um, and realizing that we've created these divides. There's there's pretty strong divides between people. And I think people are trying to figure out where and when that started. Mm. And uh, that's a lot of what, what Woodstock 99 was sort of about, right? The, this, this current sort of pushback of people you can see so clearly in this film. So, you know, people are maybe trying to find where did this start? Where did we start going wrong?
0: Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. 99 there
0: we go <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna put a pin in the map um yeah that's kind of the undercurrent i think with both this and the 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 episode of music box which which was about woodstock 99 which i did see interestingly that and i revisited it after watching train wreck um that doc is like an hour 50 and then all three episodes of this film combined or this series combined are like two hours and 20 so it's it's almost the exact same amount of time <laughs> dedicated mm-hmm. uh this one i think is sort of it, it seems more like a TikTok of like going from friday to sunday how it all went wrong and there's this kind of weird um i don't know if it was on purpose but i felt like episode at one ends with like a countdown to midnight with ga- which gave this whole like kind of 24 vibe that's and and the yeah, sound for 60 minutes <laughs> or something like that cuz the soundtrack is almost like 24 where it's like and it's counting down to the midnight on Friday and um what what i find about train wreck is that it um i'm not sure it entirely works as a tiktok i'm also not entirely sure it works as um talking to sort of like the bigger issues i i i will say that the the music box uh episode about woodstock uh is very much about like the cultural commentary the you know the, the angry young white male stuff that come that came along with new metal and uh a lot of the you know a millennium angst y2k um that sort of thing i i think that what train wreck does good is that it gives a little bit more context because it's kind of able to take a bit more time to sort of lay out how the festival itself went wrong mm-hmm. which may be a microcosm of the, that thing you're getting at sort of like the broader social trends because it's certainly i, I think one of the things i got out of train wreck this idea that um and we see this through a lot of culture this idea like hey we had this thing it was really successful let's do it again because success breeds success. You can catch lightning in a bottle, and um, the the documentary, both documentaries, are very much like well, well. The, the music box one is very much like well, Woodstock really wasn't magic and or wasn't wasn't really lightning in a bottle to begin with. It was kind of like lucky that it's as well remembered as it did. Uh, yeah, Trainwreck is very much about no, you can't catch lightning in a bottle. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Like, um, I mean, I don't know if they were a little heavy handed with this, but they they made it clear who the villain of the film was pretty pretty early on in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it definitely was um, the, the organizers of the festival. Um, and I think more heavily weighed on one person than another. But, you know, Michael Lang, who was the organizer of the original Woodstock, I, I mean, I just, this guy's a guy who just keeps failing upwards. (laughs) Like the only reason Woodstock 69 is, you know, as you're saying, or as people think sort of lightning in a bottle is because there was a movie made after the fact, the Mm -hmm. actual festival itself was a bit of a disaster. Mm -hmm. Like people, they weren't making money. People were just going in without buying tickets there were infrastructure problems. There were rain delays. I mean, the the music went on almost 24 hours longer than it was supposed to. Like the Who were supposed to headline on Saturday night and they're taking the stage at like two or three o'clock in the morning. Jimi Hendrix was supposed to finish the show on Sunday night and he went on as the sun came up on Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Like Woodstock Night 69 was a disaster. <laughs> and a movie was made out of it, which made it look great made it look like this whole other thing yeah and michael lang made a lot of money off of that he made a lot of money off the soundtrack that sort of thing which is good because he certainly didn't make any money off the actual festival (laughs) woodstock 94 was a disaster woodstock Mm -hmm. 99 was a disaster why do we keep letting this man (laughs) like why do people revere him like he's he's really He's really pulled the wool over people's eyes, or he's just so—I think he's naive. I think he really thinks he's succeeded at things.
0: Yeah, and I—I found I what, what a couple of things I found interesting about this. Number one is um, again, you have two documentaries, um, and it seems like between the two, there was kind of no introspection in either Michael Ling or John Shur it's like you know we were confronted with a lot of stuff making that like doing interviews for that one documentary um maybe i should think about that before doing this second documentary
1: yeah (laughs) like john Cher literally they obviously they edit it together it's i understand how documentaries work people Mm -hmm. go in with biases but there was one bit of him and i was like i think he said profit seven times in that Mm -hmm. like minute and a half (laughs) like I understand who the villain is. Okay, you you've you've made it clear to me who the villain is. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't think they had to work that hard to make him the villain. Like he's clearly, you know, James Brown was the first person and part of like he's like I'd like pay before going on. I think that's reasonable. An mm-hmm. artist wants that, especially an artist of James Brown's caliber, mm-hmm. and he just played a game of chicken with him.
2: I'm like mm-hmm.
1: that doesn't make you a hero. <laughs> or good at business that makes you a word I won't say. So I'll just call you a jerk.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So th- that was one of the th- takeaways I had. The other, another t- is is like you said. Um, Lang seems to be someone who's been able to coast entirely on the fact that uh, the Woodstock documentary and the Woodstock soundtrack are both awesome. The festival, not so much. Um, and you know, on top of it all, you have these like very starkly different philosophies where it's like you know lang's like we're trying to recreate that utopian experience and it's like well it you know it doesn't didn't sound very utopian when you had people dying of drug overdoses drug overdoses Mm -hmm. at the 69 festival um so i think maybe you're misremembering things and then you have the other guy going like this has got to turn a profit um like i got to make money <laughs> doing this and then you see that reflected in the lineup where they just put on a bunch of people who were like really famous at the time um who were really attractive so i mean that's why you get this lineup that leans heavily on the new metal side that was you know that was the the music at the time that was the the genre that um you know you kind of had two modes and this is kind of where the music box documentary Paint, paints um, a more starker picture where you have the world of teen pop versus the world of of new metal and and yeah. hard rock and that's where the festival leaned and you know it, it i'm not sure how much of this is true because i mean it's like the old saying failure uh is an orphan you know success has a thousand volume uh a thousand fa- father's oh that was tough to say um <laughs> Coming <on the> heat. <laughs> yeah maybe and then uh failure is an orphan and it does feel like failure is an orphan experience and so you have all these people looking back 20 years later and and i do question how much of this to believe but there's the, the one guy who says like i went to john and i'm and michael and told him like this lineup makes no sense like you're having you you're putting on this hippy dippy revival, but then you're hiring Limp Biscuit and Rage Against the Machine, um, and then he, he the, this producer describes essentially them looking at him like he was the uh, <laughs> the one who didn't get it. Um, but at the same time, you have John Shur who's um, talking about you know to to address the the issues of. You know, assault and rape that were uh, reported at the festival, too. Um, you know, he's saying, like, well, you got to ex- expect that stuff when a place where it's the size of a small city. And it's like, well, dude, small cities have police forces. <laughs> and yeah. what did Woodstock have? It had the peace patrol.
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, he said, those women took their shirts off.
0: Right. Yeah. And that I'm was like, the other
1: okay. thing. Okay. Yep. 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 And it's and I'm, just, like, it's, right, I'm sorry, it was 100 degrees on the asphalt. Of course, they took their shirts off. What were they supposed to do?
0: Well, it, it, I mean, that's an al- another place where, you know, vision and reality clash, I guess. If it's the true utopian experience that Michael Lang is talking about, a woman should be able to walk around without her top off, without being worried about mm-hmm. um, being assaulted. Uh, that's the utopian experience. But is, is you know, that, that wasn't what Woodstock was or, or ended up being in, in sort yeah. of the
1: aftermath. Well, and let's just, I mean, just to stick on this issue of women for a second, let's mm-hmm. look at their lineup on the the sort of the main stage. The East stage was kind of the, the biggest stage of the the event. Mm-hmm. There's one woman mm-hmm. on each day. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That is it. Cheryl Crow on day one, Alanis Morissette on day two, and Jewel on day three. Mm-hmm. Like also, it's just it's weird. Like when in the like, because I haven't really looked that closely before at the at the uh, lineup. Like I knew a number of fans that played there, but when Jewel came out on Sunday and they're playing it in the documentary, I was like, they should have pulled her. Like, what did? <laughs> I- I'm surprised her set went as well as it did. Frankly,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm
1: like, they would have. I'm surprised they didn't eat her alive. But yeah, but the whole thing to blaming this on the music, I will say is, is absolutely not correct. Yeah, like, I am 100% on that because I have been. I mean, yeah, I, I like I said, I understand there's a bias, but I, I sort of agree that it's kind of the organizers here. Like I have been to days long music festivals at this time. I went to Glastonbury in the UK in 1998, mm. and many of these same bands Bands played there. I've been to Lollapalooza. I've been to Edgefest. I've been to these festivals and seen these bands in the hot, in the summer. And I'd say even like inside, uh, uh, like things like Edgefest, once you got inside, things are kind mm. of expensive. It's kind mm-hmm. of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But when, like, that's okay when it's just a one day long festival. Like Glastonbury was four days long. And once you got inside, everything was cheaper than it was outside the festival. I was really surprised, mm. but like, it's just—I mean, I went to Lollapalooza, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers closed that, and that's sort of the—the the, they closed Woodstock '99, and
0: mm. it, famously, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and that was sort of <laughs> that was the end of things. People were pretty fed up by then. I've seen them close a main stage on Edgefest. and they played after ministry and Jesus and Mary chain. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) the band was the the crowd was riled up, but people didn't freak out. Pearl jam had been on and they were climbing all over the scaffolding, but still the people in the audience did not start climbing all over the scaffolding.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Like this was just sort of like a, like a social experiment. Like, let's see what happens if we put 300,000 people on the hot tarmac for Three days with no sleep, lots of alcohol, lots of drugs, no water, no food. Let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I really think.
1: Hmm. I'm.
0: I'm just trying to think. You know, if, if you're looking for a villain or sort of like a reason. Why things went so terribly wrong at Woodstock. I'm not sure that they put a, a, a pin in it in, in this. Uh, maybe it wasn't just one thing either. But one of the things I do find concerning is that both this and the music box stock were essentially made Limp Biscuit the villain. And I'm not sure Limp Biscuit was actually, I know Limp Biscuit wasn't the villain. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I appreciated about Trainwreck is that one of the talking heads in it is um, their former manager. Um, it would have been nice to have had Durst himself talk about it, but, um,
1: yeah, I think he knew the writing on the wall and was like, I'm not going to, yeah,
0: gonna it's, it, I mean, that's entirely possible, but I didn't appreciate that there was somebody connected to Limp Biscuit in Trainwreck who came in and said, look, Fred Durst, everyone knew who Fred Durst was, everyone knew who Limp Biscuit was what you know so what was his responsibility his responsibility was to put on a great freaking limp biscuit show which is what he did
1: well and- not only that once things started going you know poorly you can kind of do two things mm-hmm. as as a musician mm-hmm. which is amp up your own performance so that draws the attention mm-hmm. or stop the show entirely and stopping the show entirely is often not really the way to go because mm-hmm. then you have a bunch of people who are you know upset about it you've just created even more enemies out of that mm-hmm. but yeah i mean limp biscuit i agree um this I, I had hoped that this uh doc would clear that up a little bit mm-hmm. because limp Bizkit did not close the show on saturday like no no there were two more bands after that yeah and we don't know what happened after that. They did Limp Biscuit and then went right to okay, now everybody goes to see um Fat Boy Slim in the rage <laughs> tent. I'm like right. that's not that's not really what happened.
0: Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, um rage was after Limp mm. Biscuit yeah. So and I mean Limp like is- how did
1: the audience react uh- to that? Like that's the thing. They gave they gave corn, they showed what corn did and then had said this is you know bush brought everybody down well great like okay why don't we see that after limp biscuit plays what happens after that
0: that's i mean that's a, that's a great point and i did appreciate that um insight that you know how it you know, how bush played and that, i i did find that interesting the the mechanics of sort of like putting on a show and they did that with jewel as well when she's like looking at her set list it's like well you know how can we adjust this set list for the for the crowd and yeah i think that was a that's a big missing gap and again it's weird because you have a three-part series and it's only a little bit longer than sort of the feature-length documentary i so i I feel like there's sort of like missed opportunities that could have dug deeper and i don't i'm not sure if it's maybe they were talking to just bands who would give them or somewhere where someone connected with the band would give them time like um, Jonathan Davis. Well, Jonathan Davis is in both documentaries um, the, the, for people who don't know corn. He's the head of corn, um, <laughs> the head of
1: the, the head of corn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's the lead singer of corn, AKA <laughs> <laughs> the head of corn. Um, so maybe it's, like they didn't want to talk about rage without having rage there. And so they go right to fat boy slim. Um, which, by the way, I mean, you had it's interesting the crossover between the two movies and you have Jonathan Davis in both docs. You have Jewel in both docs. You have Moby in the music box one and you get Fatboy Slim in this one. I feel it. I feel it's a, 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 a better, better addition. But yeah, so I mean, that could be very much it is that they just couldn't get anyone from Rage to talk on the record about this. So they they skipped over it, which I mean, is a shame because I do feel like that's that's a noticeable gap. And it also, again, puts more of a harsh spotlight on Limp Bizkit. It's like, why did Limp Biscuit do this? <laughs>
1: yeah. And I will say, personally, as a fan of new metal and like heavy rock like this, I mean, I get it at that time. I loved it. But I mean, whatever, for whatever reason, the late 90s, there was a lot of sort of pent up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it was the turn of the millennium whatever mm-hmm. people weren't really sure what was going on so there was a lot of pent-up energy and the music was great because it let you let that out mm-hmm. right like I didn't dance to Limp Biscuit and then think okay now I really want to tear down um, some <laughs> piece of infrastructure it's like right. no I wanted to tear <laughs> down a piece of infrastructure and what I did instead was listen to Limp Bizkit and dance listen mm-hmm. to Rage Against the Machine and dance. Mm-hmm. so i i mean yeah i don't buy that it was the music i do agree and they did you know sort of weave this throughout and, and unfortunately the organizers will claim that this is the whole reason that there was you know a group of people 50 to 100 bad apples yeah, the audience. bad apples like, is
0: used way too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there weren't 50 to 100 bad apples, but I will agree. Like, I have seen those people at music festivals. Um, they're half the read, not I mean on top of that. I don't actually like the tragically hip,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: anytime for some reason that I was near where the tragically hip were playing, or for instance, when uh, the city of Guelph did their um live showing of the last show, mm-hmm. and I was just like, who are all these people in khaki shorts and polo shirts and flip-flops, <laughs> groups, like gangs of four and five white, like tanned white guys and khakis and polo shirts? <laughs> like, who are all of these people that I have never seen in my life in downtown Guelph? Why are they coming? Um, yeah, <laughs> I I crossed streets, honest to God. like I'm like, I don't want to be anywhere near that energy that's going on over there i think that's
0: fair i also think that's sort of where the documentary also lets down is is kind of understanding i guess through like sort of direct example and not just sort of like making you know a, a kind of wide condemnation of of a whole group The whole thing about the few bad apples, it's like, dude, go back and watch the footage. You have hundreds of people standing around three or four different fires. That's not a few bad apples. You know, when you get when you start (laughs) when when you have 100,000 people together and everybody's cheering the burning down of the place that, you know, we're not talking about a few bad apples. And at that point, are you even talking about bad apples before? And and I, I think this is where the music box documentary gets into it more it's talking to some of the attendees who you know there were they're kind of split into two categories the ones who got out early and the ones who were sort of caught up in the fervor and you know in so much as we want to think you know people are smart and can make individual choices themselves you know we have to understand that there is a group think there is a group mentality. You do become part of a collective consciousness. If, you know, emotions are high and the right set of circumstances sort of set you off. People can act collectively. Uh, And
1: sometimes you have to, to remain safe.
0: Sure. Yeah. That too. That too. Uh, Yeah. So I, I, it's, it's an interesting, I I don't think either of these uh, two projects sort of got, fully explored uh the significance i think we understand that there is a significance to woodstock 99 as an event um and i did one of the things i did find before we sort of wrap up this review is um pre-social media and comparing this to fire festival how fire festival um sort of imploded on social media nobody you know, you go back and watch some of those firefest docs. People talk about how people were like hoarding stuff <laughs> when they get <laughs> to the site, but nobody burned it down. And you have to wonder, in so much as we talk about the awful things of social media, is social media also kind of a safe release valve for when things go completely and horribly wrong? You just post it on Instagram, like this is my horrible cheese sandwich at Fire Vessel, as opposed to like tearing down the scaffolding. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. Yeah.
1: I mean, the reality is, is that humans have anger. It is one of our emotions and (laughs) we are simply not in North America. We are not given very good options on what to do with that anger. We're never taught Mm. how to do it. You know, as children, you're sort of punished. If you're being bad, you're punished. If you're you know, being loud, you're punished. Mm
2: -hmm. Nobody,
1: we don't, we don't know what to do with that. So we take it out on infrastructure, or we take it out in dancing, or we take it out on social media by tearing each other down.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: There is no peace and love, Michael Lang. I'm sorry.
0: Well, I mean, he's unfortunately or fortunately no longer with us. So um, the answers of the universe are finally his. uh, The answers about woodstock 99 we will leave it to you because you can now watch trainwreck woodstock 99 on the netflix we're going to take a quick break and then come back with something entirely different but maybe not so much as we talked about earlier we're going to review x you are listening to end credits here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca 12 campus and community radio (laughs)
2: you sneaking a few long peeks at Jackson over here. No, no I, I wasn't okay. looking. He You don't mind none.
0: She's right. And all I don't mind. Little offense.
2: Everybody likes sex.
1: It's a guess. But we're just not afraid to admit it. Queer, straight, black, white. <laughs> it's all disco. You know why?
2: Because one day we're gonna be too old to And life's too short if you ask me. That? The fact of the truth of the matter is we turn folks
1: on and that scares them. And they can't look away neither. That's right. We're like a foxy car wreck.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was a clip from X. It's the new film from writer, director, Ty West, and it stars Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, Brittany snow, Martin Henderson, Owen Campbell, Stephen Ur, er, and Scott kid Cudi, miscutty um i didn't i didn't even know it was kid Cudi. i mean i'm i'm acquainted with kid Cudi's music um not so much with what he yeah. looks like <laughs> so yeah. but uh yeah so uh interesting interesting part for him to take on interesting movie too and um i i was interested in x uh i was listening to the I was going to say it's not last picture show podcast. It's next picture show podcast. Mm -hmm. And they paired it with Texas chainsaw massacre when X came out. And I thought, huh? Interesting. Um, And it made me want to see X even more. Uh, Those comparisons are very much there. This does feel like a better homage to Texas chainsaw massacre than the actual movie that also (laughs) came out this year called Texas chainsaw massacre.
1: (laughs) That wasn't so much an homage it's just a let's just you know put <laughs> we it have IP in time yeah let's just put it in 2022 and see what happens i guess 2021 i don't i don't really remember
0: i i don't think it matters yeah because <laughs> it's it was bolivia not texas that they filmed that in
1: oh or oh. was it
0: it, it was it some. Was, e- yeah it was somewhere that wasn't texas let's put it it that way it did not
1: look or feel like texas no
0: that is correct although this was shot x was shot in new zealand um which i let slide because power of the dog was also shot in new zealand so there's clearly something old westy about new zealand that Mm -hmm. that makes that makes it work
1: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) anyway let's talk about x
1: yes Gosh, where to start? Where to start? <laughs> so, um, I wanted to see this because I, um, I've really appreciated Ty West's films, though I have been very slow to go through them, um, primarily because there aren't actually that many that he's, uh, like are him writing and directing, like
2: mm-hmm.
1: his complete vision. So I saw The Innkeepers, um, quite a few years ago and I just, I just loved it. It was, it was so good. It was everything I wanted from a horror movie. And to me, it's funny, because when I saw that, I sort of felt like, to me, that was the beginning of, you know, this, this new style of horror that has been coming out, the, you know, the, <laughs> the high art of, of horror.
0: Elevated horror.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But that was sort of the beginning to me where I was like, oh, we're going back sort of to that more 70s, slower paced, bigger like small story, but bigger sort of mm. space. Like there's just there's just so much, so much more. Like it's not all hand fed to you. So I really, really liked the Innkeepers. I found out that he had also done this film called The House of the Devil and waited a really long time to see it. I finally <laughs> watched it last year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and just I mean, so House of the Devil is set in the 80s and looks like it's filmed in the 80s it's got the same shot styles and there's some grain to the film and of course like all the production design and i love that as well for a very different reason than i love innkeepers (laughs) because of all i mean i loved innkeepers for for the story and for the space and for this like weird tone of it whereas house of the devil i liked a lot for the aesthetic sort of feel but You know, also like it did still sort of have that slow pace and tone, but not as well done as I found Innkeepers did. Mm
0: -hmm. So of course,
1: X now being so um House of the Devil was actually his first film, and then Innkeepers was the second, and now X, and I thought, oh my gosh. Okay, so now we're like we're doing that aesthetic, and we'll get like his really good sort of slow storytelling. And so I was immediately disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Like Oh, this doesn't look at all like it was filmed in the 70s because the, I, the story of it is that it's set in sort of the very late 70s or, or you know, maybe even like very early 80s because it's mm-hmm. right as the videotape home videotape sort of is coming in on the in the adult film industry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they go to go film a, an adult film, a porn for those who don't understand what an adult film is. the euphemism
0: we we Um, don't mean the irishman
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes those films that only adults like um but yeah so they go to film it and and this all happens and so i thought we were gonna get you know the same sort of thing as house of the devil where he would really like try to replicate the style the aesthetic style and and he did not and so that disappointed me and so Mm. it started off on a on a not great foot and I had to just like stop and go, okay. Mm. I've gotta I gotta let go of that mm-hmm. and just watch this now. So once I got over that, <laughs> it did take a few times. I had to I sort of stopped the film a couple times to sort of walk away and go, okay, let me just clear. <laughs> but once I got over that, I did really, really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was so his films are langorious. That's what I'll say.
0: Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. Um, the, the whole thing about the aesthetic didn't bother me as much. I because I I think that you know there are so many movies. I, I'm thinking about what what comes to mind is the machete movies, um, which mm-hmm. are supposed to be these lost grindhouse uh, kind of movies. But all kind of Robert Rodriguez does with them is like put like kind of a film filter um, in After Effects over stuff that was clearly shot on digital cameras in the, in the current age um, so yeah the whole thing about aesthetic doesn't but didn't bother me very much I what I was grooving on um, was was the, the, the feeling you know it did feel it, it did have a good sense of sort of time and place and like the the end of the 70s the end of this sort of glam era of of porn um coming out of you know debbie does dallas essentially being an international box office success um it, it's understandable why these mostly young people would sort of see that opportunity that oh we can film ourselves having sex and we if we, if we do it someplace interesting week too can become famous um that <laughs> that has a certain sort of um naive uh <laughs> naive optimism that i think makes sense for the era um also on the cusp it's it's at 79 so you get this undercurrent of you know the moral majority rising and televangelists. there's this televangelist that's on tv through throughout the movie that's calling on fire and brimstone about the moral decay and of course what are these young people doing well they're making a adult film and um yeah it's like that all of this is going on it's very interesting um the cast of characters you spend a lot of time getting acquainted to them and um getting to know them quite well and uh, you know you're this is one of those horror movies where you're sorry to see everyone die um you know it's yeah granted the, the, the head guy i think is the guy martin henderson is playing um wayne um he's kind of kind of a typical kind of sleaze ball producer character but um one gets a a real sense that he does love his leading lady Maxine and that um they have a they have a relationship where um it, that's kind of positive there's no
1: <laughs> yeah yeah he doesn't so that and it is so so carefully Yeah, like it's really well done with the other the the guy who's a cinematographer of Mm -hmm. the film Mm -hmm. who brings his like youngish girlfriend, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's so well done when she, after having you know helped film for a bit, says, "Wait, maybe I want to do this." Yeah, (laughs) and I just I just really loved that. Like there was there was such a strong undercurrent, or maybe it was an overcurrent of just like female empowerment right it is about Mm -hmm. owning your own sexuality and Mm -hmm. uh, you know britney snow's character uh, bobby lynn and mia goss character maxine were both uh, and i think bobby lynn certainly more than maxine because maxine is really trying to get away from something
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um but i think that she also uh, like appreciated the work uh, enjoyed the work Mm-hmm. Whereas Bobby Lynn was totally like, look, like people people are willing to pay money to look at me. I look great. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good at this. I enjoy doing it. I do not see what the problem is whatsoever. Right. And so when Lorraine starts to sort of get introduced to these two women and then Maxine is sort of on the other side saying, you know, I, I don't know that she really likes it as much as Bobby Lynn, but she's just like, listen, don't let other people's values make you decide what to do. I have decided that this is what I'm going to do. And I don't care what other people think about it. So Mm -hmm. she decides she wants to try it and her boyfriend does not deal with it well. And I'm just I'm watching this scene where he's like falling apart over this. And I'm like, I love this because either you don't respect the women in these movies that you're Mm -hmm. filming.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You don't respect them and think that that they're whores.
0: Yeah. 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 And you
1: don't want that for your girlfriend. Or you respect your girlfriend and all of the other women to be able to make whatever choice they want like those are your two options and it's clear how you (laughs) feel right now (laughs) whereas Wayne I think Wayne really got it like he was Mm -hmm. very much like look like yes this is my girlfriend I I love her we care about each other and yes I let her have sex with another man for film because that's her job
0: yeah there's there's something interesting in the the Max character where it, she has this mantra. It's like I'm I'm going to get the life I deserve. I can't remember the, her exact wordings, but um, to her it's kind of like a means to an end. Um, but at the same time, you know, she she is the one who m- makes the case. Like, look, there's nothing wrong with like loving somebody you love, and then just getting the pure physical enjoyment out of sex with somebody else as well, and it is a very sex positive film. We like to think of ourselves in modern society as kind of sex positive people. But yeah, I mean, in most of our culture, still this idea of people who have multiple sexual partners, like if they're, they do have like a significant other, but then they also have like a, a another sexual partner or people who enjoy group sex or swinging or whoever you want to dice it. There's still kind of like a sinister moral overlay about that—that that you are someone who's like morally compromised if you in- enjoy sex to that extent. And it was interesting to have this sort of like conversation in Middleus, and then to have uh, Lorraine, who've. Wayne has nicknamed Church Mouse, um, <laughs> which has some interesting uh, overtones. um Just said, you know what? What if I want to try? And then, yeah, uh, the RJ thing. Although I, th- I think uh, RJ is maybe a little bit more sympathetic than how you drew it. Um, to, be, I mean, I think what uh, what happens is he's sort of like confronted with to the extent of his. Uh, air quote idealism because he's mm-hmm. talking about in the, in the movie He's like, no, we are going to shoot a good, dirty movie. It is going to be artistic. It is going to have like French new wave influences, <laughs> which yeah. seems like a lot, but, um, and then to be confronted with, you know, it, whether his, um, his, his higher uh, artistic values sort of come into practicality when his, um, when his own girlfriend wants to do more than hold the, the boom, um the boom mic uh is it's a little bit more interesting also it's kind of an interesting subversion because rj as the one who doesn't want to participate in this anymore um sort of he finds the the red line for his sort of own moral acceptance uh ends up being the first to die which is kind of weird because mm. usually it's the virginal sort of um, most or, or least immoral character who becomes the fu- the quote unquote final girl or final person. But uh, he, he as the one who is, is so put aback back by all of this um, that he bugs out. He ends up being the first to die. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's what's so uh, interesting about this film. And so when I talked about innkeepers, I was telling someone about innkeepers and I was saying that it was a really sort of ambiguous ending to innkeepers which I I really loved. And this film has this weird ambiguity to it as Mm. well, because we, you know, we start with this, as you're saying, it's like, it's really sex positive, but only for certain people,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because as we find out the sort of the, the evil that's sort of terrorizing them
2: Mm -hmm.
1: is also um, sexuality. (laughs) you know it's also wanting to still be part of this world but we as society say no sex is for these people only Mm -hmm. it's disgusting when it's for those people Mm -hmm. and i i was just like wow this is really this is like good for him i think for for sort of coming up with this idea and trying and you know forcing people to sort of look at their own like oh yeah human sexuality is a thing that mm-hmm. exists like mm-hmm. at all ages uh, at everywhere on the spectrum right uh, i just listened to a whole podcast about the eugenics movement of sort of the like early um 20th century in north america where we are sterilizing people who had um physical handicaps uh you know some some mental um handicaps we're sterilizing them and and it's just like no like that's you know even people who have who people who are not you know beautiful like bobby Mm lynn also need sexuality have some sort of sex drive and need some sort of intimacy and what happens when you can't get that anymore Mm
0: mm-hmm And that's played in a, even amongst the the group of these like sort of nubile young people, you know, Mia goth is in what we would consider conventionally attractive. Um, You know, it's interesting that you have Brittany snow who is um, she's wearing this red dress um, (laughs) in the early part of the film. And she has her hair done up. I mean, I don't know if it was a direct, um, homage to Marilyn Monroe but you you definitely get the Marilyn vibe mm-hmm. from her um, but then you also have Mia Goth, who spends most of the movie walking around in wearing only overalls and it which is not kind of like overtly titillating you know overalls are not typically um, I, I guess in the in terms of like if you, when you say to someone put on something sexy you wouldn't not really think of <laughs> <laughs> overalls but um, that's how she walks around with most of the film is just wearing these overalls. And,
1: and on top of that, her character has um, all these moles over mm-hmm. one eye.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: she has, you know, what what some people would say is like a physical impairment
0: mm-hmm. because
1: it's so, you know, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that, you know, the movie obviously has nudity and, and scenes of, of sex, but at the same time, it's it's never titillating either. I mean, there's a whole scene where uh, Max goes skinny dipping, but it's almost entirely shot in sort of this long shot. And it's mostly like foreshadowing. There's great foreshadowing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mostly, so it's mostly the setup, like a kill that's going to happen later. But um, yeah, it, it's all done in this sort of like long shot just to oh, show that the- so good. You know, just I guess how isolated they are, but um, it's yeah, it, it the greenness and the the color of the water and how she, as a as a figure, um, you know, her white skin just sort of like pops up against the green and the color of the water, and it's it it's very sort of. It's I, I guess whatever the opposite of gratuitous is, it's it's yeah. not that. <laughs> Even though it's this scene of of an attractive young woman skinny dipping, it's it's it no nothing in this scene is meant to be, be titillating at all. It's there there's also kind of a sense of freedom and relief in in that as well. Just the act of, you know, um going swimming in your birthday suit in the middle of this lake. There's there's something so serene about it.
1: Mm -hmm. But yeah, it does. I mean, I do. I love that shot. I just I couldn't get enough of that shot. The overhead where you see her in the center and the dock coming off one side of the riverbank Mm -hmm. and the other side of the riverbank. And it's all in the shot. And Mm -hmm. it's just like it's so you're right. Like it does really help to sort of show the isolation because she's so small in this like big shot. (laughs) But yet also, like, so bright against the dark sort of mm-hmm. muddy water. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, like, it, it. it's one of those funny things. Like, I I love, I think Ty West does this really well, where he can use scenes with no dialogue to tell you a lot about a character.
2: hmm
1: Right? And it just gives Maxine so much, like, serenity. Mm-hmm. I guess just like the depth that you might not get if it's just you know
2: mm-hmm. her
1: doing whatever like and that's the whole thing like the they talk about like the film is called X, but mm-hmm. they do actually talk about X in the movie and they talk about how she has this X factor right. And they build up to it with all of this, yeah, her walking around in the overalls and and all this sort of unsexy stuff that she's doing Mm -hmm. including as you say skinny dipping in the middle of the river (laughs) that's just like yeah and of course uh i mean i don't know how you felt but it didn't surprise me at all the very end as we sort of found out a little bit more about her character
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and her background i'm like well yeah that seemed really obvious right that she's she comes from some from a different place a different sort of world and was trying to get away from something but yet i think still carried a lot of the the values of you know loving herself and loving humanity and loving the earth and all that sort of stuff
0: yeah there's a version of this character who is who you would not see as someone sort of um i guess aspirational um, because she clearly enjoys the use of cocaine um she sees uh doing pornography as as a way to fame and fortune um but she is kind of an aspirational character it's like you know you wish you could sort of be as free as as max um and that there's no judgment either which i find interesting in a horror movie
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um <laughs>
0: <laughs> i i would i wanted to mention the needle drops for a sec because there's there is one kill that is set to uh blue oyster cult um the most obvious cut of blue oyster cult possible but there are some like there's a scene at the beginning where they're getting they're leaving to go on the trip to the middle of nowhere um where the the mungo jerry song in the summertime is playing and i don't know I don't know what it is about the moot that this movie that made me realize sort of like the dark undertones of that song with like references to drunk driving. And there's like a whole lyric about how um, if the girl's dad is rich, you know, take her out for a good time. But if he's poor, do what you want with her. It's this <laughs> for some strange reason. This song really tapped into like the dark <laughs> undertones of that. What is Considerly, considered like a traditionally like upbeat kind of surfer rock song from the 60s but in this it's it's I don't know there's something about the way they used it in this that like really brought out the dark overtones in that song and I was like why haven't I ever like really listened to these lyrics before
1: <laughs> yeah yeah the song choices were great I mean same thing um, so act naturally by Loretta Lynn was just mm-hmm. was, was great and it mm-hmm. was again perfectly used and then the the odd like it it does not seem like it should work it was so weird all of a sudden to have a music video in the middle of this film (laughs) but britney snow singing landslide Mm -hmm. as we're seeing all it was just like as kid cuddy
0: plays the guitar yeah
1: yeah yeah it was totally like what what's happening here and then suddenly there's a split frame and we're seeing i was like what this is such a departure from everything else we've been doing Mm -hmm. but i like it and it really worked well and you know landslide is one of those songs too where again i think it comes it really plays to the tone of the film too you know it's about like you know it it feels like a song about Mm -hmm. freedom for women like Mm -hmm. being able to choose things and and deal with life Mm
0: mm-hmm yeah yeah so i mean all around um interesting movie um really uh (laughs) really full of a lot of a lot of of meat pardon the pun meat you can sort of uh dig into plus like and we didn't really talk about the gore and stuff and the jump scares i mean that's all there too and it's um this is a you know this is really great work from ty west and of course um part of the x extended universe which because we're gonna mm-hmm. get a we're gonna get a prequel <laughs> which is great so we'll have to leave that there maybe we'll pick it up with pearl when that comes out later this year but uh, as for this week show's over if you liked it uh you can listen to it again on our website and credits show.com you can find us on the guelph politicast channel every friday at podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitch or google Tune in and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on end credits. Just open up Spotify and search for end credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media on Facebook at end credits radio show and on Twitter at end credits radio. And Candice, where can people find you on the internet now that you're back on the internet?
1: Yes. Yes. Now I, that I'm back on the internet, I like that too, by the way, shows over shows over kids <laughs> go home. Um, so, you can find me anywhere on the internet at sin48, C I N N 48. Follow me on Letterboxd. I'm going back on the Letterboxd thing again because I'm starting this new challenge, which I will not achieve. And it's to watch 100 horror movies, like new to me horror movies, in 92 days. It starts on August 1st and ends on October 31st. It's something that, you know, the horror community online sort of does. And so I decided belatedly to start it six days late so i will be trying to watch 100 new to me horror (laughs) movies in 86 days i will fail come watch me fail letterboxd sin 48
0: (laughs) wow what a sale i will be back here in repeat form tomorrow at 5 p.m for news and politics and open sources 12 with scotty hertz in the meantime i'm on twitter and instagram at adam a donaldson And you can find me at GuelphPolitico.ca as well. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back with a whole new episode on August the 31st at 3 p.m. And uh, in the meantime, we will see you on vacation.